It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 418 for November 9th, 2014. This week, Adobe's Premiere Elements 13 looks like a winner for amateurs who want to improve their videos, but not spend a lot of money to do it. If you've tried OpenOffice but found it missing some features you wanted, perhaps it's time to look at some of the extensions. In short circuits, perhaps thinking it's Santa Claus, Verizon is keeping an eye on you all the time. Microsoft offers the Office Suite for free, but only if you have an iPhone, an iPad, or an Android tablet. And governments worldwide are demanding more and more data from social networking companies. Thanksgiving is coming, except in Canada, where it occurred last month. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and other days, religious and secular, seem to bunch up around the end of the year. These are good days for photography and video because families also bunch up around that time of the year. On an earlier program, I described Adobe's new Photoshop elements. Now it's time for Premiere Elements. This isn't an application that's going to replace professional video editing suites used in broadcast television production. But then most people who create videos at home probably aren't using professional video gear either. Premiere Elements is designed to be used by people who aren't professional video editors, and it is highly successful with that task. A new feature called Favorite Moments makes trimming videos faster and easier than before. The user simply reviews the video and marks the best parts so that they can be assembled into a movie that can be shared easily. Editing, whether video or still images, is essential to creating an interesting photo album or video. Perhaps you've sat through somebody's vacation review with 500 photos that should have been culled down to about 50 or so. Or maybe you've been trapped in front of a TV screen for two hours of unedited video. Not a good thing. That's probably why Adobe has concentrated on making editing easier. Shake Stabilizer has been improved since version 12. Because most consumer video is created using lightweight cameras or phones, the videos tend to be unsteady. The enhanced Shake Stabilizer makes it easy to steady these shaky videos, I wanted to give that feature a try to see if it had really improved from the previous version. It had. So I started with about 22 seconds worth of video showing road construction. I captured the video from a bridge above the highway using a point-and-shoot camera, a Canon G12. A close-mesh black fence separated me from the scene that I wanted to capture, so I had to hold the camera out away from my body. There was some wind that day, too. Neither of those is good for camera stability. You'll see the initial 22-second video on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and it's pretty shaky. The stabilization process was so quick that I decided to do even more. By modifying the color, I made the image look more like it was created in the late afternoon during what's called the golden hour. And to eliminate the abrupt stop and start of the raw video, and also to eliminate the first few seconds, during which I aimed the camera at the right part of the scene, I did some editing. Then I added a fade in at the beginning and a fade out at the end. 
Finally, I added some keyframes to the soundtrack and faded the sound in at the beginning and out at the end. You'll see the slightly shorter, it's somewhere around 20 second video, on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And pay particular attention to the smoothness of the pans. There's still some movement there, but it's no longer shaky. And I was able to upload the video very quickly, and very easily to YouTube by using one of the other features that allow you to update videos or photographs if you're using Photoshop elements to various social media sites. In this version, titling has been improved too. Instead of just static text over video, it's possible to add video within letters or to apply various effects such as blur to the titles. Overall, the result is more interesting and professional-looking videos in less time. Video Story is a template-based system that guides users who are creating a video for any of several kinds of events, weddings, vacation travel, birthdays, things like that. The templates come with various chapters that are used to hold content. Premiere Elements 13 even tries to do some of the work itself by analyzing the clips and then by adding graphics and music. The user can change all of these, but having a starting point for each scene is sometimes a pretty handy feature. As with Photoshop Elements, the guided edits function speeds the process of doing the basic work. Maybe it could be considered kind of a rough cut. And then your video can be opened in the full editor and modified. You'll find a little video on the TechBiter Worldwide website by Adobe Product Manager Bob Gager. He describes some of the new features in an Adobe TV video. The bottom line for Adobe Premiere Elements 13, five cats, it simplifies making home videos. Premiere Elements brings high-powered features to a low-cost application that's easy to use. One, two, three. What more is there to say than that? 100 bucks for Premiere Elements, $150 for Photoshop Elements and Premiere Elements, or you can upgrade $80 for one, $120 for both. Additional details are on the Adobe website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you can also download a 30-day free trial. tried one of the free open source office suites such as OpenOffice, you probably noticed a few differences. First, there's the cost. There is no such thing as a free Microsoft Office. It, well, maybe there is, but you'll hear more about that later in the program. But OpenOffice is available without cost. You can donate to the project, but you don't have to. Second, you'll find that open source suites don't have all the features of Microsoft applications, although sometimes they have more. And third, although you can obtain add-ons for both Microsoft Office and OpenOffice, a search for free Microsoft Office plugins isn't going to reveal a lot. Change the product name to OpenOffice and you'll find hundreds. Some of these plugins modify the applications to provide features that are already built into the Microsoft product. Others add features that aren't available in OpenOffice or in the Microsoft product by itself. In a recent visit to the OpenOffice website, I found 270 add-ons for Writer, 181 for Calc, 96 for Impress, 80 for Draw, 26 for Base, 11 for Chart, 9 for Math, and 380 for OpenOffice Org, apparently meaning they work across applications.
Not all of the add-ons are available for every platform. Windows has 723, Linux 677, OS 10 657. So whatever your platform, you'll probably find plenty to pick from if you decide to try OpenOffice. The rest of this commentary will not be a review of all those plugins. You probably don't have three months to listen to me babble on. Now, you may note that sometimes I call these things plugins, and sometimes I call them add ons. Technically, there is a difference, but it's kind of like trying to differentiate light blue from Robin's egg blue. So, an add on is a plugin, is an extension. The extensions illustrate one of the main differences between proprietary software, such as that provided by Microsoft, and open-source software, which is written and maintained essentially by a user community. The extensions, of course, require that you have installed OpenOffice, which you can download from OpenOffice.org. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's free. Installing the extensions is about as easy as clicking Tools on the menu, selecting the Extension Manager, and then selecting the Add function. There is one additional step. Before visiting the Extension Manager, you will need to identify and download some extensions that you want to try. But you knew that. I looked at several extensions that can be added to OpenOffice applications. Most are for Writer, but I also tried some that work with Calc or Presentation. My objective was to provide a brief overview of what's possible, not to recommend any specific plugins for everybody. The ones you choose, if you're using OpenOffice, should be the ones that provide the functions you need. So here's what I tried. Alternative Find and Replace. Writer already has search and replace function, but this makes it a lot more powerful by allowing for long search and replace text, one or more paragraphs. It also does multiple search and replace in a single operation, includes endnotes and footnotes in the search, regular expressions, and more. Fast Mail Merge adds a feature that's already present in Microsoft Word by making it possible to use a spreadsheet file for a mail merge operation instead of using an OpenOffice base database file. For a simple merge, using a spreadsheet is a lot easier, particularly for users who aren't database programmers. Sun Presentation Minimizer duplicates another feature that's present, this one in Microsoft PowerPoint, the ability to reduce the size of a presentation by reducing the size of the images. Presentations become bloated when users import high-resolution images that aren't needed for on-screen viewing. The downsampling process can reduce a 10 megabyte image file to just a few hundred kilobytes without degrading the on-screen image. And if you have a dozen or two dozen or more 10 megabyte image files in your presentation, that's going to make a big difference. Professional Template Pack 2 provides more than 100 document templates for the various applications, business and personal correspondence templates for writer, budget and project planning templates for calc, starting points for presentations. These duplicate features that are found in recent versions of Microsoft Office. The OpenOffice Writer's Tools add-on provides features that anyone who spends a lot of time writing will appreciate, including document versioning, conversion, translation, okay, good luck with any automatic translation, but it's there, uh, word count, and a to-do list. Some of those features are already available in Word, some aren't. The Sun PDF Import extension expands on OpenOffice's ability to export a file as a PDF document by giving users the option to import an existing PDF into Draw. Yes, Draw, not 
writer. The PDF format, after all, is essentially a postscript file with a wrapper. PDFs were never intended to be edited. Changing a date or fixing a typo is okay, but significant changes should always be made to the source document that was used to create the PDF. Still, for the occasional quick fix, this is a very useful tool. The Language Tool extension can provide the same false sense of security that Microsoft Word's spelling and grammar checkers do. It is easy to end up with a correctly spelled but incorrect word, or to allow the grammar checker to bully you into fixing something that's already correct. As long as the user really understands spelling and grammar and retains control, understanding that the software is really just offering helpful suggestions, everything's fine. The Sun Presenter Console is an add-on that replicates functions already present in PowerPoint. When you're giving a presentation, this extension makes it possible for you to see the next slide in the sequence and your notes. Those viewing the projection screen will see just the presentation itself. And the Tabbed Windows extension does for OpenOffice what tabs do for your browser. This is a feature that Microsoft hasn't yet added to its Office applications, and it combines all OpenOffice applications into a single window. And that's a quick look at what's available. If you have an afternoon to kill sometime, download some of the extensions and play around. short circuits, Verizon adds a tasteless super cookie to the mix. Verizon seems to be silently tracking about 100 million of its paying mobile phone users and providing no way to opt out. More than two years ago, Verizon started what it calls a Precision Market Insights program that can be used to sell information about your location to companies that want to send you advertising messages when you're near their stores. All right, fine. If you want those messages, no big deal. But if you don't, how do you opt out? Well, it turns out you don't. Cookies aren't new, of course, and in many cases they serve a useful purpose of identifying you to a website server so that the server doesn't have to request information from you. These cookies do what they're supposed to do and help users. Verizon's Super Cookie serves only the phone company and those companies that pay Verizon for information about you. And yes, that's every bit as bad as it sounds. And it's really not a cookie in the traditional sense of the term. Instead, Verizon smartphones add identification to every HTTP request. That's what your browser sends when it requests a web page. Often it's just the URL, sometimes with some additional information that's passed on to the server. Usually there's information in there about the kind of browser it is and stuff like that. In this case, there is a unique identifier header. It's called X-UIDH. You can't eliminate it by clearing the browser's recent history. And you can't eliminate it by blocking cookies, because it really isn't a cookie, despite the name that's been hung on it. The HTTP headers are sent in plain text. That makes a bad situation even worse. Every advertising network that has a presence on the page you're viewing can see your unique identifier and respond to it. So you can't delete this cookie, but you can defend yourself somewhat by using HTTPS instead of HTTP for requests. HTTPS connections are encrypted, but not all websites offer HTTPS connections. 
That's because they require extra time, work, and expense. For a site such as TechBiter Worldwide, no personal data is ever requested or provided, so we don't provide HTTPS connections. Sorry. Once again, a big American company shows just what it thinks of its clients. Okay, so earlier I said there is no such thing as a free Microsoft Office. Well, let me take that back. There is a new price for Microsoft Office Mobile, free. It's really hard to argue with a price of free. So why is Microsoft offering Microsoft Office for mobile devices for free? Well, it's a smart move because nobody will do any heavy-duty work on a mobile device, and if you tie users to your Office suite on phones and tablets, you will effectively tie them to your office suite on desktop and notebook systems. Very clever. So where does that leave transitional devices, such as the Microsoft Surface Pro, which is a high-powered tablet with a keyboard? The office suite generates a big chunk of Microsoft's profit every year, currently more than 30%, or about $26 billion. Instead of charging for the mobile version of the package, though, Microsoft will give a free version that will run on iPads, iPhones, and Android tablets. iPads, iPhones, Android tablets. What's missing there? You may notice the absence of Windows tablets. That'll probably be unpopular. But the company can't give away everything for free. Microsoft is currently in a position where it needs to compete with services such as Google Docs and Zoho Docs, Microsoft 365 has been the company's response to date, and that serves to link mobile and desktop systems very nicely. What's next, Microsoft? Office for Linux? It, don't hold your breath. Microsoft reports having more than 7 million subscribers to the Office 365 program, and some 40 million users downloaded an earlier version of the Office app for iPads. That version allowed users to view documents, but not to change them. In many ways, this change mimics what Adobe is doing with its creative cloud applications, creating numerous free apps that run on mobile devices. Currently, only on Apple devices, but apps for Android should be coming sometime soon, we hope. Adobe's mobile apps provide substantial functionality on their own, but they're far more useful when they're used in conjunction with the desktop applications. So it was a smart move for Adobe. Microsoft is probably hoping it will be an equally smart move for them. But wait, there's less. The mobile version of Microsoft Office isn't compatible with one of the most popular Android devices on the planet, the Nexus 7. Really? It's also not compatible with the Galaxy Note 4. Once again, really? These are two of the latest Android devices and they're running the latest version of the operating system. And they're not compatible? That's ridiculous. Apparently, if you're using the older Nexus 5, you can load Office Mobile for Android, but I don't have a 5. I have older Android devices, but they're not supported either. Maybe that's okay, though. The comments I've been seeing from people who do have compatible Android devices is that Microsoft has created a single app that more or less opens and edits Word, Excel, and PowerPoint documents. There's also been a lot of chatter about buggy behavior. 
Although I don't plan to do any word processing on a handheld device, the offering for Microsoft seemed like a must-have addition. Because it doesn't work, though, I'll just continue to use Office Suite 8 from Mobi Systems. The basic application, which is all I need, is also free. It provides the ability to edit Word, Excel, and PowerPoint documents. If I decide I need more features, such as the ability to create a PDF, or print documents, or remove the ads, well, then it'll cost me 20 bucks a year, and for better results, I should have the $15 font pack. That's, of course, not as good a price as Microsoft's free app, but at least it runs on a Nexus 7. Maybe Microsoft will figure it out someday. Government requests to Facebook for information about subscribers is up almost 25% in the first half of 2014 compared to the second half of 2013. In real numbers, that's almost 35,000 requests from various government agencies around the world. Facebook's blog reported this week that the company is trying to reduce what it terms sweeping requests by government agencies by appealing to a higher court. It didn't really explain whether it meant a legal court or the court of public opinion. Google also released numbers recently that show a similar increase, not quite as big though. Google reported an increase of only 15%. Big Brother is certainly alive and well. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.